That's what happens when you don't preach in a couple weeks. You forget to turn your mic off. It wasn't until about the age of 25 that the truths of that song really began to hit me and sink in. You see, I, I grew up with a pretty sheltered life. I know that's not the case for all of us, but I grew up in a pretty stable Christian home. Uh, my dad became a pastor when I was 10, and uh, really the only thing I, I had to witness was church drama which definitely had its impacts on me, but overall, it was a pretty sheltered life. Then my college and seminary years were lived in two pretty sheltered Christian communities, small towns, uh, both here in Michigan and then in Kentucky. And the churches that Ashley and I attended and that we served with were, were by and large uh, serving communities where, where there was foundational knowledge of Scripture and many people knew how to live the Christian life even if they didn't have the power to do so. So there were things that were just easier and it looked like, at least on the surface, that people had their lives pretty much put together. So when I got to my first pastoral appointment in Lexington, Kentucky, it didn't take too long before I quickly became aware of just how broken this world is. How broken people are, how broken we are, how broken our families are. And as I got to know stories of the people in our church and I heard their stories of brokenness and how Jesus had brought them out of that or how they had family members or even they themselves were still in the midst of that brokenness and, and looking for healing and restoration and wholeness. And I quickly, it didn't take long, I quickly became overwhelmed by the brokenness. I felt like up to that point in life, my life experience and even a good portion of my pastoral training had prepared me to minister to people who largely grew up in stable environments with foundational biblical values, uh, largely stable Christian lives. And just a few months into my pastoral appointment at that very first church, I was experiencing culture shock. We were on the northern fringes of the Bible Belt there in Lexington, Kentucky, where people claim to be Christian. That was the cultural, that's cultural Christianity. Yeah, I'm Christian. My grandma grew up, grew up in church. So, you know, it just transfers down the generations. Serious. And we can think that way too. It's not just the Bible Belt. But the, the reality of the brokenness that comes from a cultural Christianity where I claim, I claim to be a Christian, but I don't have the power to live the life results in all kinds of dynamics of not just brokenness, but then shame and guilt layered on top of that. And it made me so aware, fresh out of seminary, that, man, I didn't have all the answers. It was a humbling, humbling experience to realize I don't have what people need. 
I don't have the answers. I don't have the ability to heal addictions. I don't have that. And I quickly became aware of the beautiful truth of the song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. And I realized I don't have the answers, but I can help point them to the one who does. And I can help point them to the one who holds all of this, this beautiful mess that is heading toward a glorious restoration, who holds it all in his hands. I can point them to him. We all reach a point somewhere in our lives where we are overwhelmed by our own inadequacy. For me, it was a few months into a pastoral appointment after eight years of pastoral training. And I was overwhelmed by my own inadequacy. That Jesus is really the one who has all the answers. I'm overwhelmed, maybe you are too at times, by our own inadequacy that we don't have the answers or we're not able to be the people that we want to be or we're not able to love the way we want to love. We're not able to be for others what we wish we were able to be for them. But I am so grateful of the truth that we sang about and that Jessica read for us this morning that we're going to unpack together, that Jesus is supreme. That Jesus has the answers. That Jesus has made a way for the darkest and most broken of situations that we or the people we care about find ourselves in. Jesus has made a way for us and for them to be brought into his kingdom of light. So this morning we're turning our focus to Jesus. His supremacy over all things. And what type of life that makes possible for you and for me and for all of creation. We're going to be jumping in kind of in the middle of the passage that Jessica read for us this morning uh, in verse 15. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20, and then we're going to kind of work our way back a little bit. Before we do, because words uh, in different contexts and in different cultures uh, can kind of create different emotions depending on what is, is happening in a culture or in a context at the time, I just want to unpack the meaning behind the word and the concept this morning, the word supremacy. That Jesus is supreme. Nowadays, that word has some very negative connotations. The word supremacy. It's associated with things that are purely evil and the effects of things like white supremacy or the belief throughout human history that one race or ethnicity is superior to another. And we denounce those vile ideas with, of racial and ethnic supremacy as completely unbiblical and anti-Christ and his kingdom. Amen? But when the Apostle Paul uses the term supremacy in our passage today, he's not referring to that, okay? So that we're making a distinction here. We only see that word supremacy show up once. It's in verse 18. But the Greek root actually shows up three different times. It shows up with the word supremacy, and it also shows up twice with the word firstborn. And it comes from the same Greek root. The words translated supremacy and firstborn in our passage this morning... They're referring only to Jesus. And Paul is declaring for us that Jesus being supreme means that he is above all other powers. He is above all other authorities. He is Lord over everything, over all creation and over new creation, as we will see. So what makes Jesus supreme? What makes him Lord? Verse 15 is where we're starting. The son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all of creation. These, this entire poem, verses 15 through 20, 
is so packed full of truth. Verse 15 packs a big punch in describing who Jesus is. Jesus is God's Son, the image of the invisible God. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people Israel, they were tempted to create, to build idols of their own making because they saw the nations around them and the nations around them, they had idols representing their God, carven, uh, engraved images out of wood or gold or different materials. And they thought at times, man, we really need something that we can visibly see, that we can visibly worship, that we can have as a representation of who God is. But God forbid that. It's in the Ten Commandments. God's presence throughout the Old Testament was visible at different times when God chose to reveal himself through a burning bush with Moses, through a pillar of fire that guided them by night and a cloud that guided them by day in the wilderness wanderings. But no one could see God and live. That all changes with Jesus. Jesus, the word made flesh, we now fully see who God is. We see his character. We see his heart in a person. John 14, 9, Jesus himself says, anyone who has seen me has seen who? The Father. Paul adds that Jesus, God's son, is the firstborn over all of creation. Now, when you and I hear, the first, hear that term firstborn, what do we think? The oldest child, right? The oldest child born to a couple. When Paul says that Jesus, the son, is the firstborn, this is not what Paul is saying. So again, we have to unpack some cultural language differences here, okay? Paul is not saying that Jesus was, was born or that Jesus was created after the father. We believe that Jesus has always been in existence along with the father. He was not created. The notion that Jesus, the son, was created by God, the father, is one of the oldest heresies dating back to the 4th century in a guy named Arius. The church solidly rejected the thought and this heresy for good reason. It's not scriptural. When Paul says that Jesus is the firstborn of creation then, that doesn't mean that Jesus was also a created being. Rather, it's referring to the, the privileges and the rights that come along with being a firstborn in that day. It's referring to a position of authority that comes with being a firstborn. Jesus is the one who has authority. He is the one who is Lord over all of creation. That gets further unpacked in verses 16 and 17. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Jesus wasn't created. He was the one in whom, He is the one through whom, all things in heaven and on earth were created. Jesus was there with the Father before creation came into existence. Jesus, the Word, is the one who spoke it into being. And I love the truth there at the end of verse 17. In Him all things hold together. We're going to come back to that a little bit. But Jesus is supreme because, as John 1.1 1, 1 tells us, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made. 
that has been made. Here in Colossians, Paul is declaring that Jesus is supreme. Jesus is Lord over all creation. Not just because he spoke it into existence. That alone would be impressive enough, right? We still can't figure it out scientifically how it all came into existence. We have theories. People postulate about how it happened, but we don't have answers. We don't have all the answers when it comes to how it came into being. So knowing that Jesus is the one who spoke it all into existence, man, that's enough to make us in awe and wonder. But he didn't just speak it into existence. He is the one who continues to reign and continues to rule and continues to hold it all together. Anybody here feel like you have to hold it all together? Be honest. I get into that. Thinking, ah, my goodness, family, church, everything. I have to hold it all together. No. No. There's someone so much more powerful than you and me. Praise Jesus, who's holding it all together. Unlike what some have taught, God didn't just create the entire cosmos, which, by the way, we don't even know how big it is. <laughs> Let that, oh man, we don't even know how big it is. God created it all, but he didn't just create it. He didn't just set it into motion and then sit back in his easy chair and say, huh, let's see what happens now. Jesus has been and still is Lord over all of creation. There is no power, seen or unseen. No authority, no angel, no demon, no earthly authority greater than him. And as messy as this world seems to you and me, and as broken as it can feel at times, I can't imagine what this world would be like if Jesus wasn't Lord over creation. I mean, imagine life without gravity. Okay, that was supposed to be funny. It's funny in my mind. <laughs> and if Jesus is Lord and supreme over all things, over all creation, all thrones, all powers, all rulers, all authorities, that should give us a sense of deep peace. That all of human history is headed in a divine direction. It's not just chaos. Your life and my life has a purpose. Even when evil rulers rise, their power is limited. Their earthly lifespan is limited. But Christ's power and his authority has no end. It has no limit. It is unmatched. And if Jesus is powerful enough to sustain the entire cosmos. And Jesus is powerful enough to sustain your life and mine. Jesus is supreme because he is Lord over creation. But Paul doesn't stop there. There's more reason behind why Jesus is supreme. He is Lord over both creation, and as we see in the second half of this hymn, he is Lord over the new creation. Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Jesus holds together both the old and the new. Creation and the new creation. 
because he is firstborn from among the dead. Paul here is referring to Jesus' resurrection on that Easter morning. Yes, Jesus is the one through whom and for whom the whole creation was made to begin with. A creation full of beauty, but also full of ugliness and evil as God's good creation has become tainted by the effects of sin. Death being the ultimate culmination of this broken world. But get this, not only did Jesus create the world, not only is He ruler over creation, He humbled Himself and He stepped into a broken creation. To recreate, to restore, to make new that which has been corrupted. To make a new way of life possible through His death and His resurrection. Jesus is the firstborn, the supreme one, the all-powerful one who is bringing resurrection power into this broken world here and now. And it is this resurrection power, this new life that can change and transform lives. And the people who are now a part of this new creation, who are experiencing this transforming power of Jesus at work in our lives, we are known as the church. The church throughout all times and all places. The people in Paul's day, they were very familiar. They were very familiar with certain leaders who claimed to have all the authority, who claimed to be all-powerful, who claimed to be supreme. Rome's emperor was believed to be a god, a son of the gods, and Rome promised peace. Pax Romana. And do you know how they brought about peace? They came in and they hugged and they squashed and they killed and they put to the sword. And that is how they brought peace. They enforced their authority and beat people into submission. Looks a lot like things that still happen in our world today. Human history, our own human experience, is littered with people who try to coerce or force us to submit to them and to acknowledge their authority. How does Jesus bring about peace? How does Jesus bring about new life and new creation? How does Jesus bring about reconciliation with God? Through self-giving love. Through death on a cross through the shedding of his own blood. This is still as countercultural today as it was 2,000 years ago. You don't find leaders. You don't find powerful, we're all powerful people, or people who claim to be the supreme ones in charge doing that. Through his self giving love to the point of taking on human flesh and dying a humiliating death on a cross. Friends, this is good news. That Jesus is so different. His supremacy is expressed so differently than what we would expect. Self-giving love on a cross and through the shedding of his own blood. Now, now, some of us, we maybe have been following Jesus for a long time. Since the age of five in junior church, 
And some of us may forget, <laughs> we may forget what it was like before we knew Jesus to be this kind of Lord and Savior. Do you remember, do you remember how it struck you the first time you believed? The first time you realized this is who Jesus is? How? How? Do you remember how that rocked your world? To experience a love like this, a Savior like this, a Lord like this. Well, let's jog our memories a little bit. Verses 13 and 14. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus has used His supremacy, His authority to make it possible for you and for me to be brought into God's kingdom. The kingdom of light through redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. The means by which that is possible is His death, the shedding of His blood, and His resurrection as the firstborn from the dead. Apart from Jesus, friends, we are stuck without hope in a dark place. Without Jesus, cancer is just cancer. And death is death. Without Jesus, creation is beautiful and we get glimpses of it, but it's always going to be off. It's always going to be flawed. It's always going to be tainted. There's always going to be beauty mixed with not beauty. Without Jesus, injustice will continue to spring up. Yes, there will be justice here and there, but it's always in tension with justice. Without Jesus, the strong will always prey on the vulnerable. Without Jesus, you and I will always be stuck, powerless and bound by different powers and authorities seen and unseen. But then there's Jesus, right? There is rescue available. Paul's language, it harkens back to God's rescue of his people from slavery in Egypt. What Jesus has done now is make a way for a new exodus for everyone. A way for you and I to be rescued. A way for you and I to be set free. You see, the forgiveness of our sins isn't just this freedom or this liberation from the things that we have already done in our past. Forgiveness of our sins sets us free to live an entirely new way of life in the present and the future. How do we respond? Verse 12. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Read your own name into that. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified Andy to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. This verse is a part of Paul's prayer that Pastor Jason unpacked for us last week as he introed us to the entire book of Colossians. Paul's writing to the church in Colossae and his prayer for them is that they will continue to grow 
into full maturity, that they will be a fruit-bearing people. And the climax of this prayer is right here in verse 12, that followers of Jesus will grow into full maturity as they embody an attitude of gratitude. I didn't come up with that phrase. It's catchy, but it's not mine. They embody an attitude of gratitude for who Jesus is and what he has done and what he continues to do. Friends, Paul's prayer is for us to live a life of maturing gratitude as we spend our entire lives living into and becoming increasingly grateful for the supremacy of Jesus, which will result in the bearing of fruit. Paul uses run-on sentences, so so can I. <clears throat> What Paul most wants to see growing in the church, of which, remember, Jesus is the head. He's the one in charge. What Paul wants to see is a sign of healthy Christian life on its way to full maturity is gratitude for the things that Jesus has done. Gratitude for the great things that Jesus is doing. Gratitude for the great things that we will continue to see Jesus do in our lives and in our world. Since Paul is writing to a group of people who are already followers of Jesus, with a desire for them, for us to grow into full maturity, can I ask those of us who consider ourselves to be committed followers of Jesus, how's your gratitude right now? Where's your gratitude level? I'm convinced, I'm convinced that our gratitude in life, primarily when it comes to who Jesus is, we can be grateful for the good things that Jesus gives us, the good things that he blesses us with, but are we truly grateful for who Jesus is and what Colossians tells us he has done for us? I'm convinced that that gratitude, as that grows in our lives, is a primary indicator of our spiritual maturity. Are you more grateful for Jesus? For Jesus. Not the things he has done for you, not the things he has given to you. Are you more grateful for Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you more grateful for Jesus today than you were last week, than you were a year ago, than you were a decade ago? Are you a more grateful person? Living into the gratitude that Jesus makes possible. I believe Jesus wants each one of us to leave here today with more awe, more wonder, more amazement, and more gratitude, having encountered him in a fresh way. Sometimes, sometimes we forget what God has done for us through Jesus, and, and when we aren't growing in gratitude, and if, and if that's the place you find yourself today, it's okay. It's okay to acknowledge where we are. Jesus loves us enough, though, to not leave us where we are, okay? When we aren't growing in gratitude, when we are forgetful, or when we're not experiencing the life that Jesus makes possible for us, we can become a bit curmudgeon-y. I made that up. I know. I made it up. Curmudgeon is a word, but I added the Y, because it sounded like a cool adverb. We can become a little bit curmudgeon-y. I'm going to keep using it. I'm going to add it to my dictionary. And we start complaining more. Have you found yourself complaining a lot recently? We start feeling slighted. 
Do you need a fresh dose of gratitude? Fresh experience of Jesus today that increases your gratitude. When our gratitude for Jesus grows, we radiate Jesus. That's one of our vital signs. Our vital signs, you've heard about them a lot recently, but these are our steps uh, that are helping each one of us take our next step in growing in spiritual maturity in our walk with Jesus. Perhaps you've noticed I smile a lot. It's just, it just happens. I don't think about it. It's just, it's there. I've been walking with Jesus since I was five. And there have been many times where people have stopped me and they've noticed and they're like, you have a really nice smile. I'm like, thank you. But on numerous occasions, it has opened the door for a Jesus conversation. Can I tell you what's behind my smile? Can I tell you why I smile? Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, for the joy that you have, for the gratitude you have that exudes and radiates from you, radiates Jesus to people around you. Friends, we will never fully arrive in this life. Becoming fully mature involves a lifetime pursuit of pursuing God. You and I can spend our whole lives encountering and exploring Jesus. How awesome it is that He is all-powerful one and that He wants a relationship with us and He wants to not just communicate to us, but He wants to communicate with us and we can spend an entire lifetime living with Jesus and we still will have so much more when we see him face to face someday. But maybe you haven't experienced this to be good news in your life yet. Maybe your life growing up wasn't very sheltered. Maybe your life was pretty broken. You had a rough upbringing, you battled sickness, you battled addiction, or your parents did, or your grandparents did. Whatever it is that has made your life difficult. And you wonder, huh, if Jesus is holding this all together, why haven't things gone better for me? It's a legitimate question. He's brought you to this day, though. He's brought you to today. And it may be that life has not been good up to this point. But Jesus can take all of that and He can transform that and He can bring new creation life into the mess that has been up to this point. Maybe like me, you've lived a pretty sheltered life. Maybe that was your upbringing. Maybe you haven't yet reached that point of becoming desperately aware of how much you need Jesus. Maybe you grew up in junior church and you grew up singing all the songs and knowing all the Bible passages and memorizing all the scriptures. But you really haven't gotten to that point yet where you're like, oh my, I thought I was making this life work, but I don't have a relationship with you, Jesus. I know all these facts about you. I, ha I have that foundation, 
but that relationship piece is not there. I don't have a gratitude for who you are because I haven't experienced that new creation. I haven't experienced that reconciliation and redemption in my own life. At some point, you will reach that point. Maybe it's today. Maybe it's sometime this week. I don't know. But at some point, you will become glaringly aware of how much you and this world needs Jesus. Maybe, maybe you think there's something or someone better out there. Something that explains the universe. Maybe you're looking to the universe for answers. Rather than looking to the universe to explain itself to you. Can I ask you a question? Why not look to the one who is Lord over the universe? who spoke it all into existence. While science continues its quest for the theory of everything, something that explains it all, Paul's reminding us today that Jesus Christ is the theory of everything. He is the one who holds it all together. The one behind it all. The good news for all of us today, he's not just a theory. He's not just a law. Jesus is a person. And he is God. He is God. He is Lord over creation and new creation. He's got the whole world in his hands. We're going to sing that again. Not just for the sake of nostalgia. I know it was fun to sing it the first time, right? It brings back memories. For those of you who know it. Everybody else who doesn't know is like, what are these people doing? We're going to sing it again, not for nostalgia, not to be cute or funny, but to declare together the truth. Which when it moves from our heads to our hearts, to a relationship with Jesus, enables us to grow in our maturity as individuals and as a people of gratitude for who Jesus is, all he has done for us, the life that he makes possible and all the ways he's continuing to work in, in our lives and in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our communities and in this world to reconcile all things to himself. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got everybody here. In his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands. Jesus, we thank you today. Jesus, it is impossible in one message, in one sermon, to adequately declare truth and the beauty and the wonder of who you are. And so Jesus, right now, we just, we need you. We need you to come and reveal yourself to us. 
Holy Spirit, we need you to sweep through this place. To soften and open our hearts. To encounter you afresh today. Jesus, as we respond now to the word proclaimed, Holy Spirit, we give you freedom to move as you want to move. To do what you want to do. To encounter us as you want to encounter us. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, the Supreme Lord, the All-Powerful One, the One who has all authority, we pray.